Are you dealing with the trials of a difficult marriage or going through a separation or divorce? Welcome to the club, friend. Life is messy and it can be hard. I'm Jen Zingmark, a Christian life coach, and I have good news for you. There is a path to find hope, healing, and happiness, no matter what your circumstances are, and I can help you find joy in your journey. So let's go. Hey, y'all. Welcome back for more Gin Juice. I have some exciting news to share with you guys. I have been asked to present at this year's BYU's Women's Conference. I am so honored and excited. And if you don't have tickets to go yet, get your tickets now and come and see me. I'd love for you to come find me and say hi and give me a hug. I am speaking on Friday, May 5th at 3 p.m. at the Wilkinson Center Ballroom, right before the closing keynote speaker, Camille Johnson. And I am so excited. Today on the podcast, I have a love after divorce success story for you with Bob Smith. Bob is an LDS men's life coach whose mission is to empower other faithful LDS men to become the men God created them to be. So it is such a pleasure to have you with me on the podcast today. And I would love for you to tell everyone a little bit about yourself where you're from and a little bit about your life. And, you know, we're going to be talking about divorce today. So you can tell us as much as you would like to share about your first marriage, you know, how long you were married and divorced and all of that. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's so nice to be here with you. So my name is Bob Smith. That name is real. I'm not part of the witness protection <laughs> program or anything like that. Uh, my parents had a sense of humor, I guess, when they came up with that. Mm-hmm. I love it though. It's so plain that it st- it stands out, if you know what I mean. So I grew up in Provo, Utah. My dad taught uh, school at BYU for many years, for 43 years. Oh wow! And you know, has been retired for a while now. So yeah, I grew up in Provo, Utah. Went to all the BYU games. Um, yeah, kind of all died in the blue, died in the wool, you know, uh, bleed blue kind of thing. Oh yeah. So, yeah, I, I feel like I had a very normal, I would say, LDS upbringing. I got baptized when I was supposed to. I got the priesthood when I was supposed to. I, you know, participated in scouts. Um, I kind of followed this this path and this plan, the supposed to plan. I went on a mission when I was 19, um, came home from the mission, and then got married when I was 22, like all good Mormon boys are supposed to do, right? I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's the plan. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I had in my mind as, as what you're supposed to do as a good Mormon man is to get home and get married regardless of the situation or uh, how old you are, whether it be physically or emotionally. I guess I would even <laughs> add that. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I think we all you know what I'm talking way. about, too, with oh, that. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yes, for sure. So I thought I was prepared to get married. I, I looking back, I don't think I was prepared to get married. Um, <laughs> but we did um, started having kids and, um, you know, graduated. My focus was on getting a good, stable job so I could support my family. Um, I think that's where I, I missed the mark a little bit as well is, is my focus was really, you know, finding someone that was LDS that um, I felt was spiritual, that was smart, that 
yeah, I just wanted to kind of do the LDS life. It's almost like I didn't have a lot of criteria per se, because I'm not sure I knew myself well enough to know what my criteria maybe needed to be, or maybe what I was looking for. It didn't seem like I was super refined that way. Mm-hmm. And I so, think it's typical for young guys and girls. You know, we don't haven't figured out yet what we really want. Yeah, yeah. I did have a sense along the way, if I'm just being totally honest, and maybe this will help serve somebody, you know, out there in that space. I did have the sense along the way that maybe we weren't quite a match and maybe it was off. And there were a couple of times where we almost broke up and could have broken up potentially, and we didn't, and we continued on with it. And I'm not going to say that that was a mistake per se. And I'd love to hear your perspective on this too, because it's so easy to look back and say, oh gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Or look at what a mistake that was, or, or what an oversight or whatever, whatever label you want to put on it. But like in a way, I, it, it happened, what happened happened. And so now it's up to me to put whatever label I think needs to be on there so that it can be as useful for me now as it, as it can be. And the conclusion I came to, so yeah, I was married for 17 and a half years. Um, it was, it it seemed rocky from the beginning and lots of issues. And it's like, is this the way it's supposed to feel? Or is it not supposed to feel this way? Should it be better than this? Is it us that's off? And in my mind, if we could just read the scriptures more, and if we could pray more, and if we could just get up in the morning together or go to bed at night, and, and if we just went to church harder and I just served in my callings more, and I did all the things that way I served in every calling in the church that you can imagine. And um, I, gosh, I just felt kind of empty and it just didn't feel like it was right. And we just kind of struggled and struggled and struggled for a long time. And then um, she really pushed us getting into couples counseling. And the impression I got from going into couples counseling was that if, and this is just me playing amateur psychologist, right? To say, this is what she was thinking, right? But the impression I got was if I can just fix him, then I'm then I would be happy and then everything would be fixed and, and everything would, you know, go well. And was there a lot of stuff inside of me that I would say needed some help, needed some work? Like a hundred percent, I would say that. Yeah. But it's a little tough when it's if it's your spouse saying, okay, you need to go get fixed so then I can feel better about myself and about my life, as opposed to, hey, I think this is going on and maybe you can address you and I can address me. And now let's figure out if we can figure ourselves out first and then, you know, see if we can come from maybe a little bit better, better place. And so I was super reluctant going to counseling. I'm like, if I have the priesthood and I've got all these scriptures, and I've got the prophets and we've got the plan of salvation. And, you know, I've been on a mission and we're temple. We have a temple recommend. Like, it seems like if we could just do more of something that's missing, then all this thing, all of this should be better and everyone should be happy and everything should go smooth and we should have this great, you know, LDS life. And that just just did not seem to be playing out the way that I thought it should be playing out. Mm-hmm. And when we went to counseling, I I totally resisted that. I'm like, you know, we shouldn't need this. It's embarrassing to go. I don't want to let it out that we have to have counseling. Like, yes. it, seems like I, it seems like we're smart enough to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And if I'm just being really open and honest, it's like, it's almost like saying, I don't know how to fix my air conditioner. And, and I would not hesitate for one minute to invite someone over to my house to say, 
hey, can you come help me fix my air conditioner? Because I have absolutely no idea what's going on with that system or, or what to do. I, I'm a little bit mechanically inclined, but I I'm not an expert by any means over an air conditioning system. Right. So what made me an expert in knowing how to process my feelings in knowing how to go deeply inside of me and knowing how to show up in a marriage in a really productive kind of way. And so why would I be embarrassed to ask for some help from someone who sees these kinds of things and deals with these, these kinds of things all of the time. But yet I felt that sense of shame. Like I didn't want to show up, but once I really started leaning in and being like, you know what? I do have a lot of things that I need to work on or that I'd like to work on because I, I want to become a better human being and I want to become a better man and I want to show up more powerfully than I am because right now it feels like I'm going on this emotional roller coaster all of the time that I don't feel like I have any kind of control over. So maybe if I leaned into this work more deeply, then that'll help me become a better version of me. And that's really where my focus went to was, was really leaning into the work for me, myself during that time. That's so good to hear. I think it's very typical that especially men, all of my male clients have said the same thing. They're very reluctant to go into counseling or, you know, going with their previous spouse, but good for you that you embrace that opportunity to say, okay, how can I get better? I want to work on yeah. me. And that's awesome. Yeah. I think that, I think that was really the, the starting point of true progress is to say, you know what? I don't think this is working. But, and you, you tell me if you think differently about this, it seems like the antith antithesis of that is really our self judgment. And I'm a big, I'm, I kind of push this a lot. Like, it seems like when we have something that's there that maybe needs some attention or needs to be worked on or something that we're not particularly proud of, of saying that we feel or that we've done or that we think or whatever, and that whatever these impure thoughts that I'm having are these wrong feelings of anger or whatever it's when we cast that thing of judgment around it it seems like it puts it in this hard-coated shell to where you can't even get underneath it to the red root of what actually is going on so it's really about saying let's remove the judgment from this so that we can actually start doing some some work here that's actually going to move you forward but i think it's that that layer of self-judgment that is such a key blocker in all of this. Like I'm a good Mormon man, so I shouldn't be thinking this way. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And I think the real key, at least what I've seen, and, and you tell me what you, if you've seen it as well, but whenever we have a lot of shoulds that come up in our life, I think that's kind of the key indicator that this is happening for us. At least that's what it was for me. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think men and women both it seems to me universally have that idea that, you know, we have the gospel, we have all the right pieces, we should be able to work this out. And there's a big stigma about admitting like, we've got problems here. There's problems going on in our marriage and getting help for it. So good for you that you did that and you got over that big hurdle and started addressing all those, you know, things that were you were feeling like were out of control for you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. 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 And is that what led you to coaching? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, at that point, I started doing a lot of counseling, a lot of coaching. Um, at one point during the counseling process, I did decide that this marriage isn't working. Like I was working on me and really trying to be focused on me. And then, and then from that place, which is, you know, a lot of what I do with the men that I coach is let's get you to a really clean spot or as clean of a place as we can so that we remove the 
frustrations and the resentment and the anger and the the feelings that are there within your current relationship. Let's see what we can do to kind of sift through all of that so we have clarity around all of it and get you to a more to a cleaner place. So then you can make that decision. And I did feel like I made that decision from a much cleaner place to where I felt really resolved with the decision to get divorced. So yeah, like you and I were talking about before, you know, we started recording is neither one of us are proponents of divorce. I would never counsel somebody to say, absolutely, you need to go get divorced. Mm -hmm. But because it's really the individual that has to kind of sort through, it's, it's like your own kind of beautiful growth process, if you will, that that we need to go through to to then uncover what's really there. Like what, like, why is it so triggering for you when your spouse says this, right? Or when this happens, like, why is that truly a problem for you? Like, I understand that in relationships, things are said that we would prefer not to be said. And uh, like, of course, some of those things are going to, you know, bring up some hard feelings and there's no reason why it, it wouldn't. But when we can really understand why is that hard for you, that's when we can start uncovering the truth of what's there. It's like, well, it's because I grew up in this kind of an environment and this is the message I received when I was young or or the belief that I, you know, caught a hold of and kind of carried with me that I didn't even realize was there. And now it seems to be impacting my marriage in this way, like this belief I'm not good enough or I have to put on this mask of perfectionism and I can't let anybody in too close even so, um, to the credit of my of my ex spouse, um, she would label it, and I didn't really like the way that she labeled it, but she would call it shell guy, like I'd go into shell guy mode, and um, and I was kind of offended by it when she would say it, mm -hmm. and now it's almost like the offense is gone because I'm like I totally was shell guy, mm -hmm. <laughs> like I was totally shell guy. Yeah. I didn't even mean to be shell guy, but I was. Like my heart wasn't open. Mm -hmm. I didn't cry much. I didn't let stuff in. I didn't, I wasn't open to how I was feeling. There was almost like a block between my, in like at my neck level between my head and my heart. Yeah. And I didn't allow myself to really go into, into the, my heart space because I did have, so I'm six, three, you know, over 200 pounds. I've played football. I've skydived. I'm athletic. I've, you know, all these things. But yet I'm not ashamed now to admit that, yes, I have a tender space in my heart that has, I have a lot of feelings. I'm empathic by nature, which is probably what's help, what helps me become or be such an effective coach. But I have a lot of big feelings that come up for me. And, and I didn't, I thought that that was wrong for me to have those, you know, growing up. And so it was a lot of protection that went on and a lot of, you know, kind of insecurity and whatever else. But now it's really about trying to open up to those and not, and not, um, I guess, feeling bad about the fact that I have, you know, those emotions happen for me. So I think that's awesome. I think it's, it's a universal problem that men and women face, but especially I've noticed with my male clients, they're so disconnected from themselves. They don't even, they're not even aware of what their emotions are without some work and some practice to allow those feelings to come and to really pay attention to what they are. And you know, put their finger on the pulse of, okay, I'm feeling angry because of this. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're so used to hiding them and pressing them down that they're not aware of them at all until they erupt. And mm -hmm. then they're not in control of their behavior. You know, they feel ashamed of how they behave after a blow mm -hmm. up or in the midst of a blow up. And then they just go back down and yeah, go back into shell guy. And they don't want to talk about it. And they want to hide that and, you know, repent and then move on. 
Yeah. And it's much yeah. harder to keep them on the surface, be in touch and aware and controlling them regularly than to just push them down and, you know, deal with the blow up. Do you think awesome. it's particularly so in the LDS culture that we're in? I feel like that might be true, but what's your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I feel like it could be. It's hard to say because I'm like LDS like you. I've been raised in the church and um, I know it's a problem in the LDS culture in general because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be this perfect person or to project the ideal persona that we think we should have or that we expect that we should live up to this, mm -hmm. you know, ideal persona. And when that's not in reality who we are and how we're feeling, there's this disconnect and this dissonance. And we can feel ashamed of that and feel like we shouldn't show that. We shouldn't share that. Hopefully in the world today with so many more people sharing so much more private personal information and sharing more about themselves, people are more aware that, you know, we're just real. We're just all just being the best, hopefully being the best humans we can be. And a lot of times it's not pretty. It's not ideal. Yeah. And those things yeah. that, you know, about us that aren't great we can still embrace those parts of ourselves and accept that I'm just, just a human. Yeah. There's times when I lose it and I'm mean and grumpy and I don't show up as the best version of myself, but there's a lot of times when I do. Mm -hmm. so it's awesome. Yeah. 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 That we're talking it, about it more and allowing more people to just, you know, be real. Be real about it. Yeah. Um, you know, something I've shared before um, with other people, if you don't mind, I've got a quick, I'll, I'll share a quick yeah. story that kind of goes along with that point is, so when my, when my marriage was, you know, kind of on the rocks, if you will, and was kind of heading towards the end, or it felt like it was kind of, you know, going to that place, um, I was asked to teach a lesson in elders quorum. And he, so he just called me out of the blue and said, hey, would you mind teaching a lesson in elders quorum? And at this point, I just felt like my life was kind of upside down. And what did I have to offer? I was just going to work and doing the thing and coming home and doing the family thing. But, but man, I just, I, this is, this is at the point where like, I felt like I was the strong one at church, if you will. Like I was the elders quorum president on more than one occasion, ward mission leader, you know, in the young men's organization multiple times for many years. And so I was kind of the guy that was kind of out in front and, and in these callings and whatever. And then in this, at this point, it's almost like I was seen as kind of the, the less than the needy, you know, person or whatever, which was a total, you know, mind game for me to yeah. right? there goes mm -hmm. the identity of what was before. And, yeah. and now I'm not really that guy. And, and I, am I ever going to be that guy? And I feel like my marriage is struggling so much and my family is struggling so much. And now I'm kind of on the other end of that, which just felt so, you know, disconnected and kind of out of control. But he called me and and uh, said, "Hey, would you you know give the Elders Quorum lesson?" And I said, um, "Possibly." <laughs> like I didn't say yes immediately. Yeah. And, he, and I said, "Well, what's the topic?" He's like, "Well, it's from the end sign on you know August of you know whatever it was, 2016 or something." And so I looked it up, and sure enough, of course, this is what's going to be. It's going to be Elder Iring's talk on eternal marriage. I'm yes. like, I knew okay, you were going to say that. <laughs> let, let me just. Let's uh, just be real, really real here for just a minute. And I said, so just so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do this, but if I do this, I want you to know that we're going to have like a real conversation in elders quorum. And I, I'm, I'm not going to set anything on fire or anything like that within the building, 
but um, we're going to have, have a legit conversation because right now this is just kind of the place where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So I said, if that's okay with you, then, then let's go forward. And, and um, so he sounded a little bit nervous, but he said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> he and trusted you, obviously. He did. So, so go with that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I stood up in the front of that class and, and I asked everybody, I, I, well, I, I invited anyone to leave that wasn't going to be comfortable with having a real conversation. And of course, nobody left because they're probably now they're all probably sitting forward on their seat. Like, Oh "Oh my gosh, what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. And I said, um, I can't remember all the questions that I asked, but one question was how many of you grew up with imperfect parents? Raise your hands. Every hand went up. Right. Right. Uh, Second question was something like, how many of you have ever had an interaction with a close family member that you look back on now and regret that you had every hand went up in the air. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember the third question, but something along, you know, just general issues that we all face. And I said, okay, now that we know that nobody is perfect in this room and that we all have problems and that we've all, you know, experience things that we would prefer not to have experienced and emotions that we would maybe rather not feel. Now I think we can have a real conversation. And then I went into it just saying, look, you guys, my marriage is, is not in a good place right now. Like we might be heading towards divorce. I'm not sure. And then we just talked about some of these principles and one guy in the back immediately said, Bob, I appreciate you so much sharing that because I, I understand how hard this would have been for you to stand up in, in a room with, it was probably 30 or 40 people. It was actually a pretty big elders quorum, you know, moment um, with a lot of elders that you could look at arguably had perfect lives or perfect marriages. And we actually were, it was a pretty wealthy ward. I mean, most people made like really good incomes. And so from the outside, at least income wise, house wise, kid wise, it seemed like things were fine and everyone was doing, you know, pretty well. Mm-hmm. But after that whole discussion, I kid you not. So I went and, t- and talked to the bishop several months later, probably three or four months later, because we, you know, we we're going through all this stuff. Yeah. And he, no joke, he said that he has had no less than 10 guys come to him and reference that particular um, lesson that we had in Elder's Quorum. So, not to say, you know, pat myself on the back. But what that indicated to me was not not how good of a teacher I was, per se, but really how much the men in the church crave an open, real, like, can we actually talk about the stuff that's meaningful and real and hard in in an open type way instead of putting on our church faces Mm -hmm. and showing up saying that we have it all together when we all know that we don't. So true. I, I think that is so important. Because I think especially on the men, there's this expectation, you know, you're the leader, you're the presider, you're ultimately responsible for your family's welfare, temporally, spiritually, it's all on you. And so you kind of have to walk that walk. And that's awesome. Good for you, you know, yeah. that you were willing to be real. And obviously, everyone was right there with you like, yes, let's talk about it. Let's let's get real. Doors came off on that one. Yeah. So it's, it's been great. And that's actually been a really good marker for me to go back to and, and remember. And, and it's really helpful for me and my coaching practice too, because man, when we get real and we start going into that heart space in a really deep way, I mean, that's where, that's where miracles occur. And I, I don't use that term lightly. And I'm sure you've seen the same thing with the people that you've served as well. 
Mm-hmm. So true. I agree. We all want to connect in, in a meaningful way. And I think to do that, we have to, you know, take off that shell and be real about how hard life is and navigating marriage and navigating divorce and keeping your faith going through divorce and, you know, talking with your children. There's just so many issues that come up that really just challenge that, you know, identity that we have, but the real person trying their best to live it. Yeah. Yeah. And challenging the identity, it, that brings up for me just an experience of going to church after the divorce and just seeing myself differently. Like, oh my gosh, I no longer have an eternal family. It doesn't look like to me. And I don't look like, you know, what it used to. And I'm looking up at the bishopric and I'm wondering what they're thinking about me. And am I worthy to still pass the sacrament or or participate in priesthood ordinances? And it was just such a, it was such a shift to like, try to deal with all of that. Like I can't even become a bishop or a stake president anymore. Not to say that I was, you know, lobbying for those positions, nor would I necessarily want them. But there was a time and place in my life where I'm like, yeah, I would, I would like to be the bishop. And, and, you know, people were saying, let's get you prepped so that you can become that. So it's kind of like there was, you know, trending that direction that that's, that would be kind of an expectation for, for me and the service that I would, you know, render to the church at some point. And I can't even be that now as a divorce. Which I think man. things are changing. I think that's changing. We actually have. I, I think a it bishop. probably will. I think we it have a bishop will. who's divorced and a stake president here in the South who they're both second marriages and they're divorced. And yeah, and maybe that's changed recently, or, or it has changed. But I'm, when I got divorced, that wasn't the case within the church. So I, I'm, I'm super happy that it has because what was interesting is after divorce, and you probably had this experience too, is meeting with bishops and stake presence thereafter, like either doing temple recommend or what was even more awkward was were the uh, the ceiling cancellation meetings that we had, mm-hmm. which turned into like a, almost like a fake temple recommend interview thing, yeah. because I almost felt like the bishops and stake presence have no idea what to do with us or how to handle those situations. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, gosh, for, for those who actually know, know what it's like, like, why wouldn't you want to have someone who's divorced and has been through that experience to then serve in those capacities so, so that they true. can actually understand and really relate and empathize with what's really going on with those individuals? So true. That's what I've said. As I've seen people that I know, and I've I've served as Relief Society president be after my divorce, and I worked closely with the bishop, and, and all the time he would ask me questions and there's just, it, it's so common and you know, both of you and I are divorced and there's just so many things that you have no idea about that they are dealing with that, that you can't even imagine how difficult it is and all the complexities that go along with being divorced and getting remarried and having blended families. And it helps to have people in leadership that have been there and they've understand that it's possible. You can stay faithful and honor your covenants and, and be totally worthy and still walk that road. And mm-hmm. many of us do, but it's hard and it's helpful to have people who've been there who understand and can sympathize with you and help you. So let me ask you, coming out of your divorce, many people, I've seen both extremes. Some people are like, I want to find the right person and I'll be happy. And they're very eager to jump into another relationship and others are jaded. Like I'm done. I've tried it. Didn't work. That's not for me. 
How were you feeling after your divorce? Were you, were you eager to get remarried? And what would be your advice if you were speaking to men who have just gone through a divorce about remarrying and how to address that? I was excited about um, dating, dating again. I wasn't, it was awkward to be in the dating pool again or back in the dating pool oh, yeah. as a middle-aged person. <laughs> like I, I can't, it's just awkward. Yeah. I, I'm not sure any way other other way to you know phrase that or whatever. But it seems weird, especially in LDS culture, because you know we don't have sex with each other when we're not married. Exactly, and, and, and it's so and it's strange like, to be. It, most of us haven't dated since we were teenagers, yeah, and here we are, yeah. middle age, <laughs> post children for women, you know, and and yep. you're dating again. It's just odd. It's it's, it's odd. Yeah. It's really it's really odd. It's almost yeah. like you you. Uh, had the rights and the privileges there and then the, you don't have them anymore. And <laughs> it's know. like, wh where do you go? And it's, mm -hmm. you know, how do you feel? And, you know, that's a whole nother, maybe that's another topic for discussion. Yeah, really <laughs> that, that we could talk a whole lot about that one. I felt like I was ready to kind of move into that space because so my wife and I, we had kind of been, if you will, somewhat separated for a while as we went through the divorce process. Then it felt then once the divorce actually happened, like when actually you get the the papers actually signed, that almost felt like it was just the um what's the word? The anticlimactic, you know, part of something that had been going on for probably a year, two years, three years at that point, <clears throat> and it was just needed to like I was ready just to kind of move on at that point. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we got divorced at the end of March of 17 and I immediately started going to like the LDS, um, mid singles events, mm -hmm. like soon thereafter in, in April, I, I think I started attending those and I met my first girlfriend, you know, that then became my girlfriend or whatever thereafter. And so her and I dated for a while. So by that point, I guess I felt like I was ready because her and I had been separated for a while. Um, all the work that I felt like I had done on myself. So there was so much that I had done in terms of like counseling, coaching, um, started making decisions for myself, like saying, okay, this is, this is what I want in my life. I felt like most of what I had at that point had kind of burned to the ground. And so it was like, now, how do I want to actually, what, what do I want in my life? Which had never really been a thought before. It was more like, this is my life and I'm just going to kind of continue to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But when everything feels like it kind of gets taken away financially, the house that you invested so much, you know, into the kids that you no longer have, you know, the time with the, the identity of, of the, you know, the eternal family that was there before. It just seemed like all of that was just like gone. It really felt like my life had kind of burned down to the ashes from what, uh, like, it's just a, a can't even reckon, not even recognizable to what was before. And now the big question for me was, which was a, which was a light bulb bold moment for me. And I would hope, and what would be great is if people have a light bulb moment without having to go through the divorce process. <laughs> yes. But instead of saying, what do I actually want in my life? Like, well, I wanted to get in better physical condition. So I started working out and learning about proper nutrition. I wanted better clothes. So I asked a well-dressed friend, you know, where do you go shopping? And and so then I, I started getting some clothes that, that I, I liked. Um, I wanted to start a business like I had dreamed of and I hadn't made much progress there. So I really wanted to kind of pursue that. 
And I wanted to get myself just in a better place mentally, emotionally. And so when I would go to the gym, I would put Tony Robbins in my ears and I'd be like, oh my gosh, do you guys know what this guy is saying? Like, this is hot stuff, man. This is so, this is so good. And then I make my kids listen to it and then they would hate me for making them listen to Tony Robbins <laughs> or you got Dean Graciosi or, or Brene Brown or yeah. Mel Robbins or, you know, um, Wayne Dyer, like all these people, Zig Ziglar, all these people that I, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's all this amazing information outside of the church and yeah. outside of, outside of the ensign and outside of the scriptures that I had no idea. I thought we had a monopoly on all the good information that was there <laughs> in the world. Yeah. And I discovered that there's, there's this whole world of amazing leaders that are spiritually in tune, that are doing amazing things for people that are building communities and building businesses that do so much good in the world and are like generating a sense of abundance for themselves and for their communities that they work within. And yes. I just started to really kind of get my head in that space. And that's really what led me to coaching and being coached and getting coached and progress progressing that way. And I, I just loved it. So it felt like my mind was getting right. My body was getting right. My spirit was getting stronger. My just all those things were, were um, starting to, to really take hold because it all started with deciding was it that I want in my life? And I think what helped bring clarity again was like clearing everything out that was there before. And now it's like, okay, now what do I want to put back in? And I don't think that's a bad thing to think about on a regular basis. Cause how many of us just kind of get in the motions of just doing whatever and allowing life to just kind of take its, take its course instead of stopping every now and again and saying, okay, is this really the direction I want to go? Is this really what I want in my life? Like I'm just, it's a part of my life, but now let me make an intentional decision about, is this really working for me or is this not working for me? Yeah. And so that's, that's really what led me down that path. And I was in the place of, of then thinking, gosh, I, I really believed that there would, there would be somebody else out there. Not that would make me happy, but one that would align with me more closely so that we could then build a life together that we, that we both felt was really great. And so then who was the person that I wanted? And so I had a list of like, instead of four items long, now it was 35 items long of the person I was looking for. That's so, awesome. I love to hear that. I hear a lot of women say that, but I haven't heard a lot of men say that. I think that's yeah. awesome. And I yeah, love and that was that a Tony you... Robbins. That was a Tony oh, Robbins thing. He's really? like, how would you know that you found what you're looking for unless you get really clear about what it is that you're actually looking for, right? How would yes. you know that you've, that you've actually found it? I so. love that. Yes, I always recommend that to my clients, but I didn't know that was a Tony Robbins thing. And I love what you said about doing the work on yourself. And that can happen within a marriage, but many times, like you said, post-divorce, when you feel like everything else has been stripped away, you're starting over. What do you want to build in your life? What kind of life do you want to create? That is the ideal time to be very intentional about what you're putting back in place and really kind of questioning, like, why do I do the things I do? Why, why have I kept some of these habits and traditions or things that I've practiced in my life, if they're not serving me, it's a good time to get rid of them. This week's podcast is going to be a part one and part two, because we just had such a great conversation, such a wonderful interview. Bob has so much wisdom to share and it got pretty long. So I decided to break it up into two parts. And this week is part one. So tune in for part two next time.
And make sure you find Bob on social media. You can go to Facebook and go to Bob Smith Coaching or his website, PowerfulMormonMan.com. And look him up, share this podcast with any man in your life or man that you know who could benefit from coaching. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Come back next week for part two. And take a minute to give a review and a rating for the podcast if you're enjoying this. And please share it with someone who you know who would benefit. Have a great week. Bye, y'all. If you're ready to dive deeper into this work and learn the tools and the skills you need to change the trajectory of your life forever, go to LDSDivorce.com and sign up for a free consultation with me. This is just the tip of the iceberg, my friends. There is so much more. I would love to work with you and be your life coach.